So this is now week two of this fall series we're doing going through the book of Revelation. We began last week by looking at the introduction in chapter one and figuring out what sort of book this is that we're going to be spending our time with. This isn't a secret code book that's given to us to decipher the end of the world. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ, an unveiling of what has been hidden, mainly that Jesus Christ has conquered and that his kingdom is coming to this earth. The book was originally written to, uh, as a letter to circulate to seven real churches in the first century, some of which were facing persecution, some of whom were facing uh, uh, efforts to push them out of the center of the culture and out of positions of power being more and more marginalized in the world around them. Some were being tempted to compromise morally or politically in order to secure their safety. And all of them were wondering, where was Jesus? Where was Jesus and why was everything around them falling apart? And how on earth would it be that with the world like this, how could God ever bring God's kingdom? How could God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Amen? The passage we're going to look at today is from the beginning of John's second vision in the book of Revelation. And in it, Jesus begins to answer those questions by drawing back the curtain and allowing John to see the truth of things. But before we hear that passage, we need to pray. you pray with me? Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Christ, our single concern. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book we love. After this, I looked, and there was a door which had been opened in heaven. And the first voice that I had heard, which sounded like a trumpet, said to me, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and I saw in heaven a throne and one seated on the throne. And the one seated on the throne was like Jasper and Carnelian and surrounding the throne was a rainbow like an emerald and 24 thrones with 24 elders seated on them surrounded the throne and the elders were dressed in white clothes and they wore gold crowns on their heads. And coming from the throne was lightning and voices and thunder. And before the throne were seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And something like a glass sea, like crystal, was in front of the throne. And in the center, by the throne, four living creatures were encircling the throne. And the four living creatures were covered with eyes in the front and on the back. The first living creature was like a, a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a human face. And the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. 
The four living creatures were surrounded all around and on the inside with eyes, and each had six wings. And they never rested, day or night, but were always singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is coming. And whenever the four living creatures worshipped the one who was on the throne and gave glory and honor and thanks to the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders would fall down before the one seated on the throne and would worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they would throw down their crowns before his throne and they would sing, You are worthy, our Lord and our God to receive power and glory and honor because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. It had writing on the front and on the back and it was sealed with seven seals. And I heard a powerful angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals? But no one was found in heaven or on earth or under the earth who could take the scroll or look inside it. And I began to weep and weep because no one was worthy to take the scroll or to look inside it. But then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has emerged victorious so that he can take the scroll and open its seals. And then I saw there a lamb in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. It had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into the whole earth. And he came forward and took the scroll from the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one having a harp and a golden bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and you have ransomed for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will rule on earth. And then I looked. And I heard the sound of many angels surrounding the throne and the four living creatures and the elders. They numbered in the millions, thousands upon thousands. And they sang in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, everything, everywhere sing blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and always. And the four living creatures shouted, Amen! And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped. 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Revelation 4 and 5 are rich and beautiful glimpses into the heavenly throne room. And we could spend weeks looking at everything there, diving into the Old Testament references we find and coming to understand what it means for our lives and for the world and our worship. And that's why I'm so grateful for the Wednesday morning 10 a.m. Bible study because we get to do that there so we don't have to do it here. You're always welcome to join us for that group. It's at 10 a.m. on Zoom. You don't need to have any training, any further study, or any prior knowledge to do so. It's a great place to start, and we hope that you join us to jump in each week. As we look at Revelation 4 and 5 this morning, I want you to see simply what John sees. Since I'm not Jesus and I can't recreate this vision for you and welcome you into it, we'll have to rely on John's description. And so we'll look more closely at the five things that John sees. Anybody remember the first one? A door. After this I looked, and there was a door in heaven that had been opened. An open door. Now, to understand this, we need to back up a little bit. We skipped chapters 2 and 3 to get here this morning. Those two chapters are often called the Letters to the Seven Churches. It's a sevenfold introduction to the whole book of Revelation, addressing the seven specific churches this letter was first sent to and circulated among. In those letters, Jesus, through John, addresses the specific concerns, the triumphs, the struggles and questions each of those churches faced. And the last of those letters was to the church in Laodicea. And Jesus tells them that they've grown lukewarm in their faith. They're wealthy, it seems, and that prosperity has cooled their passion for Jesus. It's grown cold. And so Jesus tells them to buy instead his gold, to buy instead his fine clothes as they seek to endure and to one day conquer he wants them to change their hearts and their lives and be earnest and he ends the letter saying this look I'm standing at the door and knocking if any hear my voice and open the door I will come in and be with them and will have dinner with them and they will have dinner with me that letter ends with an invitation to worship. A door is all that is separating us, Jesus says, and I'm standing at it knocking, patiently waiting week after week for you to open the door and join me at my table to sing hymns, to offer prayers, to hear from my word, to be fed of my body and my blood. All that separates us is a door. Will you open it? And as John looks, he sees a door that's been opened in heaven and hears the voice of Jesus inviting him through it. The door has been opened and the door leads into heaven and he hears the voice of Jesus. I used to picture this door up way in the stars somewhere far off, barely visible to John down on the island of Patmos, that he must have been caught up and through it at a great distance. But that's not the picture here. 
Because John doesn't believe heaven is some far off disconnected place, but that heaven is here. It's God's sphere of activity, God's realm and dimension among us that intersects with our world. Think of it like the upside down in Stranger Things. It's here around us, but not always visible, yet there are certain places you can pass between the two dimensions. Or like in the golden compass, there's the knife that's sharp enough to cut even between the fabric of the worlds to pass between them. This door is a passageway right here in front of John. And as it opens and Christ invites him through, he passes into heaven itself to see our world from that perspective. The door has been opened for John and for us. And as John steps through, he sees something else. Do you remember the second thing John saw? A throne. That's right. It was supposed to take longer. I need a drink. Pretend like it's going to take you a while to come up with that. He says that once I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and one seated on the throne. What's clear from John's description in chapter 4 is that what he's seeing before him is the heavenly throne room, God's control room over all of reality. John's not the first to see this place. It's described in part in 1 Kings 22, in Isaiah 6, in Ezekiel 1, in Daniel 7. The door of the Laodiceans are invited to open as they gather for worship each Sunday is the door into God's heavenly throne room. The curtain is drawn back on our world as it descends into chaos. And we discover that while our world seems to be falling apart, at the very center of reality itself is a throne and one seated on the throne. That God is in control over all things. One of the very central themes in the book of Revelation is this, God's sovereignty that there's a throne in the center of all things and God sits on it from which God rules over all of creation. There was a rebellion, sure. Evil is running amok, certainly. But there is a throne and we know who sits on it. God is still sovereign. And while it's impossible for us to understand now, God is even in the midst of this, working out God's plan. Which brings us to the third thing John sees. After the scene of worship that takes place in heaven with the four living creatures and the 24 elders worshiping the one seated on the throne, John sees something else. Right at the beginning of chapter 5, what did he see? Hmm? Not yet. A scroll. In the right hand of the one seated on the throne with writing on the front and the back and sealed with seven seals. A scroll that needed someone worthy enough to open it. And when no one worthy is found, John weeps and weeps. What is in this scroll? Why does it matter to John so much that it be opened and read? Well, one of the things you need to know about the book of Revelation as we study it is that it is thoroughly soaked in the Old Testament, that it cannot be understood without understanding the many, many references to the Old Testament. More than half the verses in Revelation directly reference something in the Old Testament, and there are more references to the Old Testament than verses in the book of Revelation. In this case, John is reaching back and pulling from Daniel chapter 12, 
It's the last chapter in the book of Daniel. And there, Daniel is commanded to take the scroll that has God's plan for judgment and redemption written on it and to seal it up, to keep it secret and hidden until the latter days, the end days. The scroll that John sees in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, the scroll that will soon be opened and revealed and enacted, is God's plan, is the answer to our prayers, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Gospels are clear that with Jesus' death, those end days have begun. And the scroll is about to be opened. We've waited 500 years to find out what's in the scroll of Daniel. And we're about to find out. Or are we? Because as John finds out, no one is found worthy. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one even under the earth is found worthy to take the scroll or to look inside it. No one is able to reveal God's plan and enact it in the world. See, from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, God chose to work with humanity. We are made in God's image and we are charged to co-create the world with God and bring it on toward its fruition and fullness, to till the earth and to keep it. God chose to work with us, not in spite or around of us. And yet, as Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are worthy to take the scroll or to look inside it or enact God's plan because all of us are part of the problem. So what about Israel? God had come to Abraham and Sarah and chosen them out of the world. Their descendants were Israel, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. They were to be the ones through whom God blessed all the world, through whom God would work out this plan of salvation. Yet Israel, too, had failed. They had fallen short of all that God had wanted for them. They had failed. They were corrupted had turned to other gods. Humanity has failed. Israel has failed. And John rightfully laments, none are worthy to take the scroll or look inside it. None are found who can do this. And if the scroll cannot be opened, then God's kingdom can't come. This heavenly vision of worship for all its beauty and awe is great. But if God's kingdom isn't going to come to earth, then what good is any of it? Because we are still lost and the world is still falling apart. So thankfully the vision doesn't end there. And there's another thing John sees, the fourth thing. This one's a little trickier because he's weeping and weeping and one of the elders comes up and says, don't weep, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has emerged victorious so that he can take the scroll and open its seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the shoot that would come off of Jesse's stump, as Isaiah says it in chapter 11 of his prophecy. These are messianic titles and references in Jesus' day. 
This was to be the military leader who would rise up over the nation of Israel, conquer their enemies, establish again the kingdom on earth with Jerusalem as its capital. The Messiah would be a powerful and conquering lion from the tribe and people of David. But that's not what John sees when he turns around, is it? What does he see? A lamb. A lamb standing as if slain, which means it's standing there with its throat cut, its blood having been poured out. This is the true Passover lamb. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist said. This is Isaiah's suffering servant, the lamb led to slaughter. This is Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb from 1 Peter. And all of heaven erupts in song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And by your blood, you have ransomed for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will rule on earth. This lamb has conquered by his death. This lamb has paid our ransom by his blood. And as Paul sings in Philippians 2, he became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God also highly exalted him, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the scene we watch unfold before us in the throne room of heaven. And it's a scene John has seen before, though from earth's perspective. It's the scene he watched as his rabbi was crucified on a cross, as he was laying in a tomb, as he met him resurrected three days later, as he watched him ascend into heaven to be seated on this throne. Now John is able to see those same events from the other side, having stepped through the door into heaven. As the one who was slain now appears and comes to the throne, is pronounced worthy and takes the scroll and all of heaven bends in praise. In the weeks to come, we're going to find out what's written on that scroll. In the next couple chapters, the seals are broken and in chapter 10, where we'll arrive next Sunday, the scroll is opened. We'll find out how it is that we, who have been purchased by Christ's blood, made into a kingdom and priests to our God, how it is that we will rule on earth, how it is that God's kingdom will come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But before we get there, before heaven gets there, we see the last thing, the fifth thing, worship. A worship service, the worship service unfolds in heaven. The heavenly throne room is described like the temple courts in Jerusalem and the primary business of heaven is revealed. Worship. And we're invited in. Christ stands at the door knocking and we're invited each Sunday to pass through into the heavenly throne room itself to join our voices to the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the millions of angels as they pronounce, Worthy is the Lamb 
We are invited to throw down our crowns before the throne because he alone is worthy, to fall on our faces and to join our voices to the praises of everything, everywhere that sings blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one on the throne and to the lamb forever and always. That's what we do each week. And we need to remember that now more than ever that no matter what our worship looks like from an earthly perspective, no matter how far off key our singing, no matter how many disruptions may happen in our worship service or how distracted we may be, no matter if we're gathered at home alone around a computer screen or on a back porch with some friends around a home worship liturgy, no matter if we're gathered here scattered across a field or in a 214-year-old sanctuary, no matter if it's inspiring and encouraging or whether we're left wanting and wondering why we come back every single week. Whether our worship is awkward or awe-inspiring, we need to remember that our worship participates in heaven's worship that when we gather, our voices are actually joined to the voices of the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the millions of angels who surround the throne of God and pour out their praise, that our worship each Sunday is part of the greater worship of heaven. And if we could just get up a little bit higher or step through that door, we would see that this is not all that's happening when this happens here that this is a preview of the day coming when everything, everywhere will pour out its praise because he is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy. In Revelation 4 and 5, John shows us what is really real. That there is a door right here and Christ stands knocking, inviting us through. That there is a throne in heaven and one seated on the throne who rules all things. That there is a scroll that reveals God's plan to redeem all things. That there is a lamb who has conquered by his blood. And that there's a worship service going on day and night in heaven where all of creation bends in praise to the one on the throne and to the lamb. Amen.